The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. First Timothy chapter 2, if you will turn there. And our subject again this evening is living for Jesus. And we're talking about living in communication, which of course is the prayer life of a Christian. And I didn't know when I started these lessons that in our Fundamentals of Faith class, that the very next lesson that we're supposed to go through is a lesson about the prayer life of a believer. But I began to look over that lesson just a few days ago. It's going to be a while before we get to it. But I looked over it a few days ago and I found out that that lesson has covered many of the very same things that we're talking about in these sermons. And um, I think that what that shows you is that there are certain subjects that we're supposed to preach often on. That the Holy Spirit has a way of showing us that we need more prayer. I don't think it's coincidental that I would be preaching on this now and then it's going to come up again in just another month or however long it takes us to get there. Probably a little bit longer than, yeah, will be longer than that. But we'll be talking about prayer and the fundamentals of faith class. And as I said, that class covers, will cover much of what we've covered here. And what it shows us is that when the author of that workbook that we're using, when he studied the Bible and when I studied the Bible, if we're doing what we're supposed to do, we're going to come to the same conclusions. Uh, If we're doing it right, we will come to the same conclusions because there is only one Holy Spirit that lives in all of us. And so if we find something that we disagree on, then one or the other of us is not interpreting Scripture correctly. Maybe both of us aren't interpreting it correctly. But when we have the true interpretation, then all of us as Christians, we're going to come to the same conclusions on, uh, on these different subjects. Well, this is one where I don't think we're going to find too much disagreement among uh, those of us who are born-again believers. Our discussion is the prayer life of a Christian. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1. The apostle says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We're four messages now. This is the fourth one in this series, and I've still got quite a bit that I want to cover. So we're going to move very quickly through the review of the previous parts of the message. Uh, And this is why, because because I'm just doing it briefly, this is why it's important to be consistent uh, about your church attendance, because if you're not here, you're going to miss some things that are very, very beneficial for your walk in Christ. So we're still on the first point of the outline, which is practicing the essentials. Communicating with God is is an art to be learned. Now, for sure, all Christians can pray. A new Christian can and should pray. But praying is like all the other spiritual graces that we have to grow in that grace. And part of growing in grace uh, is in prayer is that there are certain ways that we pray that will help us to be more effective in our prayer life. Now, I'm not saying then that, that, that prayer is actually a mechanical thing, because it's not. But at the same time, we do find that the Lord has given instruction on it. 
He, he gave us the model prayer and he gave us examples in his own prayers. And we find in those, in those places essentials for how that we are to pray or to pray a God-honoring prayer. Oh, there's seven of them that I've chosen to highlight in these messages. We've covered five of them. So let's just run over the first five very quickly again. The first one is credulity. That means that we are to trust God. We are to have faith when we pray. Believe that God can do what he says that he can do. And he's willing to do what you ask. And we are to pray without doubt. We are to be confident with our prayers. Secondly is humility. Uh, come to God with the sense that you're there because of his invitation. He grants the right for you to approach him. And that right is because of Christ and not because of you. Thirdly is harmony. Pray about things that are in harmony with God's will. And as we discuss this, we learn that almost everything that you need to know is in God's word. All of God's will, just all of God's will for your life is found in his word. And so if you just obey the scriptures and you apply the principles that are found there, when you pray, you'll know that you're doing the right thing. You'll have a sense that what you're asking is the right thing and then you'll get the answers that you seek. Fourthly, we are to pray righteously. And if there is an overarching principle that can be applied to prayer, I mean one that that has to be there that overshadows everything, it is that those who pray have to be righteous people. And the only ones that are righteous are those that have trusted Christ as the Savior. So in other words, before you can come into the presence of God, you have to actually be made fit to come there. You have to know Jesus Christ or you don't have the right to speak with God. You have to be on God's wavelength. And the only way that you can be is that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And it only lives in you in one way, and that's by faith in Christ. But there's also another sense of righteousness, and this is really more what we want to emphasize here, and that is the personal holiness that a Christian has. It's the godly, or should have, it's godly living. I mean, obedience is definitely a requirement for a successful prayer life. Sin separates us from God. Now, the blind man in John chapter 9 made a very insightful comment, which is, that's a pun that's intended, by the way. But the blind man says this in John nine thirty one. Now, we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Now, although the Jews were off on many, many things, they did understand this theological maxim that if you want something from God, you have to obey him. God is not disposed to give to us when we disobey him any more than you are to give to your children when you, they disobey you. The fifth thing we learned is that we must pray thankfully, that God wants to be thanked for his provision. Appreciation actually shows respect. It's an outgrowth of humility because thankful people realize they don't deserve anything that they get. So we can't take from God and consistently take from him without saying thanks. Jesus said thanks to the Father. He was uh, deserving of everything that he received, and yet he still gave thanks to the Father. And we who are undeserving, certainly we ought to be people that give thanks. So God wants gratitude. So a good part of our prayers ought to be sent, spent thanking God rather than continuing to asking for more. Well, that brings us to the last two essentials for prayer. How should we pray? And the next one, the sixth one, is that we are to pray 
persistently. Very simply, persevere in your prayers and don't stop. And I think that we have a good example for that with our a persistent prayer with the names that you see every week on your prayer page. Uh, you hear me mention the prayer page a lot. I do hope that all the members of the church have taken care to ask for a prayer page and that even if you can't come on a Wednesday night that you look at the names there and you pray for people. But you'll notice when you look at your prayer page that there isn't a quick rotation of names on there. Some of the names have been on that list for a very, very long time. We take names off when we know that there has been an answer to prayer, when there has been a clear answer, we will take a name off. Sometimes we remove a name after about six weeks or so if the person who requested to have that name put on there never gives us any kind of an update. So if they're not going to pray, then probably, you know, we wonder why should the whole church be praying. But, but we do take a name off if, if uh, we don't see uh, somebody that has enough care and concern about it to inform us about what's going on. But there are lots and lots of names that stay on there. They continue to be there. And you might ask, well, why don't you get rid of those names? Isn't it obvious that something, nothing, or nothing is happening there? Well, we don't erase the names because I don't know when the right time is to stop praying. You look at that salvation list that we have on the back. When's the, uh, the, the time that you ought to stop praying for a lost family member? When do you stop praying for a lost friend? I, I don't know that there is a time to stop praying for them. So God wants us to be very persistent with our prayers. Now, we, we go back to him over and over again with the same request. And uh, lots of times, our circumstances change before the one who's in the prayer request changes. And that's because we've gotten tired of praying. We, we, we just don't think about it any longer. So our circumstance changes, but theirs hasn't. But we do keep those names on there sometimes weeks and weeks and months and months. And that's a reminder that we need to keep praying. Well, as an example of this, we do need to go to the master teacher on the subject who tells us about it. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, Jesus gave... The model prayer in the sixth chapter, you're aware of that. And there are things that are in the model prayer that aren't specifically covered. There are more things than what you find there. And so we look at other places and we observe the things that Christ did. So we look here in the 26th chapter of Matthew in verse number 39. This is Jesus when he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. Verse number 39 says, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Now, I hope you recognize that prayer because I talked about it this morning. And that is, as Jesus uh, agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane, that we don't really know perhaps all that was going on through his mind as he was dealing with this issue of the Father, with with what was going to happen with the Father. I mean, here... um, uh, all the sins of, of those who would believe in him were going to be poured out on him and his father was going to forsake him. And that's the cup that he's talking about here, that sin, that cup of sin that's going to be poured on him and the separation from the father. So he prayed about that. But then he prays again in verse number 42. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And then we find him again in verse number 44. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. 
So there we see Jesus being persistent with his prayer. He prayed the same words. And I would think that if the Son of God needed to be persistent, then you as a Christian need to be persistent with God. Now it's very interesting to consider as we look at that, did Jesus not get answers to his prayers until he convinced the Father to listen to them? Well, that's not what the Scripture is teaching. It's not saying here that the Father is reluctant to answer prayer. No, persistent prayer is not for the purpose of convincing God because God doesn't change in the way that we do. Now, that's probably one of the most misunderstood parts of, uh, of our prayers is does prayer actually change things? Good question. In the secret will of God, we would have to say no. And that's because every purpose that's in God has always been God's purpose. And God is immutable. He could never decide to do something and then change his mind and then do something else. That's his secret will. It's never going to change. But we're not privy to the secret will of God. And we have no idea how that all the contingencies of things that take place work within God's plan. So God tells us to pray. And he says pray because he's going to use the answers to the prayers to show his power and his goodness. So what Jesus was doing was not trying to convince the Father. His prayers were actually a demonstration of his heart. That no matter what it was that God wanted him to do, that he was willing to do that. The persistence in his prayer was the burden of his heart. That was a real heartfelt burden that he had in his humanity that he actually needed help with. So persistent prayers are not prayers of despondency. And they're not prayers of disappointment. These are our heartfelt pleadings with God to show that we're serious about the matter that we bring before him. And that type of prayer was was practiced in the early church and it's an example that we ought to follow. A healthy church is a church that is persistent with its prayers. Now those practices actually flow out to the saving grace of salvation. In Acts 2.42 it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Continued steadfastly. That means that they persevered in their doctrine. They persevered in fellowship in the ordinances of the church. And then on our subject, prayer. In Acts chapter 12, we find the church practicing persistent prayer. There it says in Acts 12 verse 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now that's one of those scriptures I know you've heard preached many, many times. And this is the one that we take and, and we make all kinds of remarks about how this church was so faithless in their prayers. And uh, I'm not sure that we always draw the right conclusions about Acts chapter 12. When Peter was miraculously freed from the prison, um, he was standing outside the place where they were praying and they were just just with unbelief in one sense that he was even there. But I'm not sure that that type of unbelief is their lack of faith in God. I think it may have been more of a surprise that God answered so quickly. But they were following the command that God gave, and that is that we are to pray without ceasing. And Paul followed that up with the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, where he said, pray without ceasing. So that is persistent prayer. 
Then we find another example with Paul's prayer of healing, for healing, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he said, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Well, there are many charismatics that teach that it's never God's will for a Christian to be sick. Well, they claim that physical healing is in the atonement. And so if you get sick as a Christian, the only reason that you would be was because of a lack of faith. Well, Paul proved that hypothesis untrue because although um, he had great faith and although he prayed persistently, he wasn't healed. God had a reason for his ailment. And it wasn't until Paul found out what the reason was that he stopped praying about it. And when he learned God's purpose, that's when God said, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. You don't need to pray about this anymore. And so Paul said, well, I got the answer. I don't really need to pray about it anymore. But until he got that answer, he was persistent to ask God to help him with that problem. So persistent prayers are not flippant prayers that we pray. You know, sometimes when we come before God, we haven't thought out a prayer well. And it may not actually be in God's will because we haven't thought about it. But a persistent prayer is one that you have thought through. And at least you've probably come to this conclusion that this is something that God wants me to pray about. It's all right to ask about this. And then when finally God answers the prayer to your satisfaction, especially then you thank him even more than you would for any other prayer. Well, now we want to look at one of the most familiar scriptures on persistent prayer. So let's turn to Luke chapter 11. And this is a, a parable that Jesus taught about prayer. And he illustrated the way to pray here. And it comes immediately after Luke's recording of the model prayer, the same one that we read in Matthew chapter 6. So in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse number 5, this is the parable that Jesus told about prayer. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And he shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Well, there's a lot to say about this parable. The exposition of it, I think, is actually kind of fun because there's some humor that's used here. Now, Jesus wasn't a comedian, but he did know how to get the message across, how to get people's attention, and uh, knew how to prove a point. So we don't have time to go through all of it tonight, so let's just take out the part that we need. This is a parable about being persistent with God, and it teaches the boldness that you need to interrupt God with your request. So what's the prayer about? Well, it's about a neighbor who came to uh, a friend's house in the middle of the night and asked him for bread. Well, the middle of the night, that's not a very good time to come to somebody's house and ask for something. Uh, in this case, there was nobody that was up. It's the middle of the night. 
Now, in, at our house, you come late at night, and you'll probably find some lights on. But in those days, there weren't any nighttime activities. And so when it got dark, they went to bed. So here's this man, and he's in bed, and all of his family is in bed. And by the way, they were all in the same bed. Because in those days, uh, houses were usually one room. And so what they would do, when it came time to go to bed, they'd just roll out a mat on the floor, and all the family would get together there, and they'd all huddle together there under the covers to try and keep warm. So all of the family is in one bed, and all of them are asleep. And along comes this neighbor, and he has a problem. He needs some bread. And he doesn't come with, a, with an urgent request. I mean, this is not a life-and-death situation. And when the phone rings in the middle of the night at my house, somebody's died probably. And that really upsets me. But, that, but this is not the case that we have here. This is not a guy, this is not a guy that, that has this huge problem that has to be taken care of. Some of his friends or a friend came to his house in the middle of the night and he didn't have anything to feed them. Well, who's going to die if you wait until the morning to eat? Nobody's going to die. So it's not a problem like that. Nobody's, nobody's in danger here. So this guy comes and he asks for the bread. The whole family's in bed. They're all asleep. And this guy won't shut up because he wants the bread. Oh, it's a bad time. He's yelling through the door. All the neighbors hear it. They're all waking up. Everybody's disturbed. This guy's waking up everybody asking for bread. So what's the guy in the house going to do? He, he doesn't get up because the guy, his, his friend... That's not the reason he gets out of bed. The reason he got out of bed is because the guy won't shut up. He's keeping everybody in the house awake. And the scripture says here that it's because of his importunity. Well, that's a word we don't use very often. You might not even know what importunity means. So let me give you, a, let me give you an example of what importunity means. It's like when I was a teenager and I was when I wanted to date my wife. And so I went to her house in the middle of the night and I yelled up to her window and I said, would you please go out with me? And there was no answer. And I said, would you please get up and go out with me? And there's no answer. And I keep saying, would you please come and go out with me? And finally her mother says, would you go out with him, please? Get him shut up and get out of here. He's bothering us. He's given us, you know, given us grief here in the middle of the night. Well, that's what importunity means. It means that he's, his insistence, his urgent insistence, you must do this. So he insisted that the man get up and give him bread no matter what time it is. Well, what's the meaning of the parable? Well, it doesn't mean that God is bothered by prayers. Now, although God does have a zillion things to do in running the universe... He's not bothered when we come to him. I mean, one more thing that you ask God to do, that doesn't mean anything to him. So what does the prayer mean? Well, it, it means that if you helped someone because they persisted, then how much more will God help you when he absolutely does consider you to be a friend that needs to be helped? I mean, he will help you. If you would help a guy with, with his persistence, and it's not because he's a friend then think how much more that God will help us when he knows that we have to be up. There is an emergency. We do need to be heard. Oh, God will answer those that are persistent with their prayers. And we also learn something else here, that answers to prayer are not always an immediate thing. We, we talk about 
answers to prayer. We'll do that, you know, some more at another time. Well, what happens if you were to miss this truth that God doesn't always answer immediately? I mean, would we pray and say, well, God hasn't answered. We pray one time. We say, well, God's not interested in that prayer. What if God's purpose is to test you? And God has in his mind, you know what I'm going to do? When that guy asks for the 15th time, that's when I'm going to answer his prayer. So imagine what would happen if this guy is standing outside the door asking for bread. He knocks on the door and, and the reply comes back to him, it's too late. We're in bed. And he just says, oh, sorry about that. Sorry I bothered you. Didn't mean to disturb you. And then he walks away. Is he going to get bread? No, he won't get any bread. He stayed there because of his importunity. His friend gave up and gave him the bread. Now we look then at verses 9 and 10. It says, And I say unto you, Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now it helps for us to know a little bit about the background of the language here because these verbs actually mean keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. The parable is about persistence. And if you are persistent, you will receive. And he says, the door will be open to you. So persistent prayer. Now, that brings us to the final observation. This is point number seven of the essentials. We have credulity, we have humility, harmony, righteously, thankfully, persistently. And lastly, we have properly. Properly. Well, all of it's about proper prayer, but I want to be very specific here about the proper address of prayer. So let's suppose that you are consistent and you are persistent, but you happen to be praying to the wrong person. And I don't mean praying to the wrong God, because I don't think that you probably, that you probably don't need to be taught or preached to about what God to pray to. A Christian is never going to pray to the wrong God, but within the Godhead, Within the trinity of the true God, there is a particular person that you are to pray to. Now, I have this question asked repeatedly. It's been, been asked many, many times throughout the years. Who do we address when we pray? And what happens if we pray to the wrong person? And I don't think that's a question that ever gets old. We have people that come in and out of the church, new people all the time, and it seems that people just don't really know the answer to this question. Does it matter whether you pray to the Father or pray to Jesus or pray to the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't know what to do to answer that question except to go to the originator of the Christian faith and ask him what he thought about it. So we could go to the most familiar passage, that would be Matthew 6, the model prayer. But we're in Luke chapter 11 already, so let's go there because this is where um, Luke records what Jesus said. And Luke chapter 11, verse 1, if you look there, it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So one of the disciples came to Jesus. He says, Lord, teach us to pray. And what is the first thing that Jesus says in verse number 2? And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven. That seems to be pretty clear. When you pray, say, Our Father. 
Now that Our Father, that's not a magical abracadabra of Roman Catholicism. This is simply, who do we address when we pray? Often you'll hear people say, Dear Jesus, or Oh Jesus, or they may say, Oh, please Holy Spirit, will you answer our prayer? Well, according to Jesus, that's not right. The prayer should be prayed to the Father. So we see right here that Jesus had a perfect opportunity that he would say, well, the proper way for you to pray is to address your prayers to me. And you think about it, that would have been an excellent way to state his deity, wouldn't it? I mean, how better could Jesus have said, I'm God, than to say, what you need to do is pray to me. But he'd already taught the disciples that many times, so he wasn't afraid that he was going to throw them off if he didn't say, pray to me. Instead, he says, pray to the Father. Then we also see that in Paul's teachings to the Ephesian church. In Ephesians 5 verse 20 it says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. Listen, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that would beg a question. What if I forget? Or what if I don't want to pray that way? Well, I think there's a distinction between those two things. There's a distinction between forgetting and being rebellious. I have heard people say... I like to pray to Jesus. And they say, I just love Jesus so much. I feel so close to Jesus. I want to thank him. And there's a way to do that. Scripturally, there's a way to do that. And the way to do it is how can you love him more than by showing obedience to him? He honors obedience. So if you stubbornly resist the instructions, you're going to end up with the same problem as those that pray without humility and they pray without harmony and without holiness. And this is what you have to understand about your relationship with Jesus. It doesn't exist at the expense of the Father or the Holy Spirit. You can't get closer to Jesus than you do to the Father or the Holy Spirit. But what if I forget? What if I forget whom I'm supposed to pray to? Well, what if you're a new Christian and maybe even a Christian for many years, but nobody ever taught you these things or you never read it in the Bible, what you're supposed to do or didn't think it was important. So what happens to your prayers if you just forget or don't do it the right way? Does God refuse to hear your prayer? Well, that's another very good question. Uh, I think, I believe that the scripture teaches that the ignorance that we have in prayer is overcome by the Holy Spirit. So he takes a prayer that's prayed wrongly and he reinterprets that before it goes to God and it comes out the way it's supposed to come out. Now you might have a hard time understanding that, but you're never going to pray a prayer that's accept, prayer that's acceptable to God without the aid of the Holy Spirit. It can't happen. So if you're a, a seasoned Christian and you practice prayer regularly, of course you're not likely to forget this. We worship the triune God, so any prayer that recognizes that we have a triune God is a prayer that's going to be heard. But once, once you've learned the truth about who you're supposed to address your prayers to, why would you pray differently? If you love God and you trust God, then you'll obey Christ's instructions. Well, the second part of praying properly is to pray in Jesus' name. Now, Jesus is in your prayers. You don't address the prayer to him, but you pray in his name. You have a right to address God because of Jesus. He's your calling card, so to speak. Now, often, often you'll hear me say, well, in Jesus' name we pray. For Jesus' sake we pray. And that's recognition that we don't come to the Father except for what Christ has done. 
Now you take that and apply that to other comments that I've made about praying righteously, that we have to have the righteousness of Christ, that we must be believers and have a relationship with the Father through Christ before we can pray. So you see that we pray for Jesus' sake. That's because of that relationship of righteousness. Now, if Christ is missing from the prayer, or if we try to bypass him in the prayer, then what God sees is someone approaching his throne without the proper credentials. Credentials. Now, many times, public prayers are offered that way. You'll hear somebody pray a prayer, and very abruptly, it just ends with, Amen. Nothing else is said, just Amen. And the reason that it's done that way is purposely because they know that in public prayers, somebody is going to be offended if you use the name of Jesus. So what they're saying is, it's okay to offend the Heavenly Father, but we don't want to offend heathens. You remember the disciples complained to Jesus about this? They said, don't you know that you have offended the Pharisees? By your teachings? Don't you know that? And Jesus, do you think Jesus said, well, that's a terrible thing. Well, he wasn't concerned about offending Pharisees, offending heathens. So should we care if when we pray we're offensive to Muslims and Hindus and Jews for that matter, Buddhists or anybody else? Should we care that they are offended by the name of Jesus? I'll tell you, absolutely not. We pray in Jesus' name. We're not ashamed of that. Well, this has really become a problem uh, with chaplains in the armed forces. I know that you probably read stories about this, that they've been told to stop praying in Jesus' name when they're in uniform or when they're acting in official capacity. And I'll tell you this, that if you pray prayers where you are afraid to offend unbelievers, you're going to offend God, and God wants nothing to do with that kind of a prayer. In fact, when we tread lightly with the name of Jesus, when we do things like that, we leave it out, we're stepping into the territory of blasphemy. We've changed the truth of God into a lie. We've approached God to slap him in the face and spit on his son. That's what we're doing. So prayer without the name of Jesus is misleading. Do you know that? That when you do that, you, you are actually telling people, demonstrating to them that you can just come to the throne without Christ if you want. But telling people to pray in his name was Jesus' way of teaching his authority. It was his way of teaching his equality in the Godhead with the Father. That's a teaching opportunity for him. That's why he says, pray in my name. So, so what if none of that's your intent? You, you just forgot to use his name. What happens? Well, I had that question years ago. I think it was one of our forum classes. And someone made this, this, this statement. They said, God does not hear our prayers if we do not say, in Jesus' name I pray. So I wrote a little article about that. And what I, what I want to do is just quote just a very small part of it, just a, just a paragraph of what I wrote in that article. So I'm quoting myself here. That's the best person to quote, of course. Quoting myself... Adding the words, in Jesus' name, is neither a guarantee the prayer will be heard, nor the specific reason the prayer won't be heard. It's the attitude in which the prayer is made. Oh, it would be definitely be true if, if in leaving those words out, one's attitude is not submission to his will. The short answer, really, is that if Jesus tells us to pray this way, this is the way that we should do it. 
It shows submission to him. Now, there may be other words that amount to the same thing as in Jesus' name we pray. There may be other words that amount to the same thing. The thought ought to be there. So I think that in your practice, or your private prayers, what you ought to do is practice this. You ought to practice, even at home, when you're just praying in your thoughts, whatever it might be, when you finish, say, in Jesus' name I pray. I'm praying to you, Father, and I'm praying in the name of Jesus, and that becomes natural to you. Then you won't have any trouble remembering it when you pray a public prayer. Here's the thing about it. If I were to pray a prayer where I didn't say that, it would be totally unnatural. I'm just not going to do that because I practice all the time praying that way. So I would say, according to Jesus' instructions, that the proper way to pray is to address the Father, to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and to ask everything in Jesus' name. Jesus says, And whatsoever he shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So I would suggest what you do is you study the model prayer that you find in Matthew chapter 6. You start learning the pattern for the types of things that you are to pray for. You'll find them there. You won't find everything that you need to know there, but that's where you start. You look at the examples of where Jesus prayed in the scriptures and see how that he did it. Now you'll notice in the model prayer, he didn't say... In Jesus' name I pray. He didn't need to. He didn't need to say that. But you do. Because he told you to do that. So you follow these guidelines for your prayers. And the prayers will be right. The essentials are credulity, humility, harmony, righteously, thankfully, persistently, and properly. That is, address the proper person. Communicate with God in prayer. And live for Jesus. And that's how you receive your answers. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you, Lord, for the lessons that we learn from your word. And we know that you've given us these things to teach because you want to bless us. You want to hear our prayers. You want to answer them. Uh, you want us to come with the kind of respect that we ought to have, to be obedient as we pray, to be righteous when we pray. Just all of these things that we've just talked about here. Lord, help us to practice that in our daily prayer lives. And then also whenever we stand publicly to pray, that we are never ashamed to pray in the way that you told us to do it. Thank you, Lord, for your blessed word. Thank you for your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.